All right, welcome back. We're here with Mo Faith. That's Faith. That's Mo. Mo and Faith. And we're doing a podcast today and um, having some deep conversations, good conversations. Uh, Just talked a little bit in our last episode about PTSD, VA, veterans, trauma, progressive conservative politics, and uh, vaccines, along with COVID, not to mention rape kits. Um, (laughs) If you didn't get to trigger on that, we weren't trying hard enough. (laughs) Right. Woo. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we're we're back. And, you know, we come from different perspectives. But I think the good thing and what I'm hoping that we can have more happening in this world is that lots of us, you know, see each other's perspectives, see why other people feel this way or think this way or support, you know, like I, I'm a Trump voter, by the way, if you didn't know that yeah. I'm, I, I have somewhere around here. Oh, yeah. I have a red hat. <laughs> I like, am just blown away by this faith. Like... <laughs> people are so blown away by it. It's so funny. Um, people are like, you're doing this for a joke. I'm my grandma before she died. She's like, it's a joke, right? Just tell me it's a joke before I die. And I was like, it's not really a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but people do laugh and I find it amusing. Oh. Um, but in the sense that like I personally um I just had a different experience with him. Mm. And because that was real for me and I can't forget stuff and live with hyperthymusia or highly superior autobiographical memory, I can't forget having good times with Donald Trump. <laughs> Um, and also seeing him as a dad who was really like kind of awesome. Um, and I'm not saying that things like I worked in Trump Tower and there were things that were broken there. Um, so I'm gonna be like realistically, you know, totally uh, upfront that you know not perfect at all. <laughs> but mm-hmm. as far as being this terrible Hitler-esque type person, that wasn't my experience. And then also when I was with Obama, there were people I knew who just hated him, thought he was just terrible. And I was like, he's so nice. He's the best. He's such a good guy. <laughs> like I, I, I hugged him. I smelled him once because I couldn't. I had to. I had to. And he smelled like, you know, Irish Spring and hope. You know, it was yeah. like, <laughs> 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 I was like, this guy is good. You know. And so, like, oh. why can't more people, you know, see and and, and go, hey, is it possible <laughs> that a lot of people are actually pretty cool, right? That. You know, so that's that's for me why, you know, when somebody says, why are you over there? It's it's just as radical to me as it was in 2013 to say Black Lives Matter, right? I got a whole bunch of shit for that. I can't even tell you. That was so much shit. I had people in my inboxes. Faith, I thought we were friends. I'm white. White lives matter. Like, oh, my God. I'm not going to lie. I didn't get my absentee voter ballot in on time so i didn't get to vote in this election it got to me after the election and i thought well it's not really gonna help now nope nope that's happened to me too i've been like that's kind of suspicious (laughs) (laughs) um so i didn't actually participate and i can't be held responsible (laughs) I think, you know, I like, there's a bunch of people who I like in the current administration who are lovely people um, who are really caring. 
Um, but I definitely, you know, I don't even know. I personally, like I said, like I kind of would just prefer to, to take it all down as <laughs> just, or just to really decrease Americans focus on the federal government and the amount of care and the amount of money we're all independently or collectively spending on this larger enterprise and system that's already a multi-trillion dollar industry, right? That has no control, right? And unfortunately, I didn't see Obama do as much as I felt he could to change that. That was one of the reasons why I did start like Trump was that he was like hack and saw and shit. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, you're not going to make any friends like that, buddy. And he surely didn't. Right. Because the federal in the federal entity was super against him, like deep state, like, you know, like I, I spoke at a federal event while Trump was president and I had all these little white people coming up to me and being like, we're part of the resistance. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And they're like, just so you know, we're fighting him. And I was like, okay, okay. I was like, I'm not exactly like, yay. You know, because I also remember <laughs> like during Obama's time, they had those same people who were like, we're going to make sure, you know, just in the sense that they didn't see him to be, they didn't see Obama to be a super big LGBT supporter in the very beginning. So it was kind of like, we have to go around him. Or we're going to go under him. We're going to do stuff that he doesn't know about. That's not going to get his attention. And we'll get further that way because he's not a strong, you know, he had an evolution, right? Mm, he really yeah. didn't go hard LGBT, like really supportive publicly, I didn't think, until his second term. He didn't do much of what we thought he was going to do hard until his second term. I think a lot of people neglect um, to recall that he did not have shit for support from the Democrats. So like when he came in, he was he was he had taken Clinton's crown, right? You know. Right. And they, but they that's also something that people forget. All presidents have no leeway their first term, and nothing yeah. but leeway their second term. You can't get a third term, so no, it's no. all or nothing on that but second it's, term. It's it's ephemeral. You know, it's ephemeral. The the people who work in the Fed to me are the actual targets that we should have. We should be seeking to change because I think mm -hmm. a, there's such a focus on the presidential election, which does allow the American population to be lulled into a sense of control. Ultimately, it doesn't have it because it's an eight year process. So in eight years is not enough time to change this larger infrastructure, which continues to grow and threaten the United States. Right. I mean, there's just like um, I used to go to the White House a lot, like way more than I've told anybody about because I was like, anybody finds out I live here, they're going to be like, what, Faith? How do you live in the White House? So I was there a lot. I'd be like, I'll just chill. I'll go upstairs and like lay in their little, they have little nap areas. I sleep there anyway. Um, and the, the people who work there were always really nice to me, like, oh, nice to see you. I get to know them, get to know about their kids. And as soon as, you know, the last election happened in 2016, I went back for a meeting in December and the people who I used to see all of a sudden wouldn't meet my eye, wouldn't say hello. Mm -hmm. And one of them said, you know, there's a new administration. So, you know, we, we all turned over now. And the idea was basically like, if you're a part of the old administration, like they don't know you anymore, right? They're now part of this new thing. Right. <laughs> and you're not part of it. So bye bye. Um, and it's just like this reality for them that that's what they've got to do is be, you know, kind of independent of politics as a federal employee. That they're really going to be focused, you know, on doing their job for the government. 
not who's in charge of the government, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that like those people, like the IRS, the SBA, all these different entities, like we as American people should be seeking to to change them. And it doesn't really have, you know, let the president, you know, be a figurehead essentially. Because that's what it is, eight years. (laughs) It makes me think of this British show called Yes Minister. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't seen that. Okay, so um, essentially the the prime minister is replaced, but the bureaucracy is always the same. So because that role doesn't have any clue how the bureaucracy actually acts, they come in, they try to make some change, and the guy who's going to be there when they leave has to, like, play along. Like, yeah, sure, we'll do that, while also... <laughs> actually getting the government to run the way it's supposed to run while getting that guy to do what he really needs to be doing. Yeah. And yeah. so the TV show um, is it's like a 60s or 70s, maybe early 80s, I think late 70s, early 80s, actually. Um, and it's it's just a comedy that makes fun of the British um, bureaucracy at the minister <laughs> level. Uh, but I think maybe we need one of those for America. So Hollywood, if you're listening, we need yeah. we need this comedy. Uh, we can call it Yes, Congressman. Yeah, I think they kind of <laughs> had one similar, just slightly, but not the same, not exactly. But what is called Veep? Oh, oh. There's a yeah. show called Veep with this Jennifer, what is it, Julia Louis Dreyfus from Seinfeld, and she plays okay. a vice president of America, but she's like terrible at her job, and the whole thing yeah. is just, it's okay, kind of so, a, yeah. it's a mockery of of government. Um, it's hilarious though, but it, something similar, you know. If, if Veep was fairly successful, so I do think a, a yes minister, um, English uh, American spinoff spinoff type of thing would probably work. Yeah. Um, Okay, so this might be their version of that then. It might be, but I think that there's not something that that specific. There's been like a couple congressmen, like Mr. Smith goes to Washington type of spinoff types of things, you know, where a normal person gets sent to Congress and they party up with this, you know, Supreme Court or something. But Ooh, speaking of the Supreme Court, have you seen this shit going down with Clarence Thomas and his billionaire friends? People are always coming for Clarence Thomas. They've been coming for him since the beginning. Poor Mr. Thomas. I think he's fine. I mean, he probably will have to either pay a fine or, you know, pay back the money that was donated, which, you know, the rich guy can give him on the side some other way, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, I I do, (laughs) I just think it's hilarious that anyone would think that that would just be just be clarence thomas though because obviously it's probably all the justices in some form or manner and i definitely recall ruth bader ginsburg having hella checks and hella shit that she got when she was a justice as far as like trips like i would see her like going places and speaking for years and stuff and she's not paying for that right so i don't i don't nor do i want her to like she's she's great i want to i want to see her but the reality is these these justices have uh, influence. I mean, there was a great book about this several years ago called The Pelican Brief, if you recall. It became a movie as well, I should say. I remember <laughs> the movie. Like, everybody's still like, thinking I'm about tra- the movie. Dave. I'm, I'm like, trying oh, I'm to remember. John Grisham I'm trying Power. to remember. <laughs> Julia Roberts, yeah. She, she's like yeah. a lawyer where Denzel Washington had an interracial kiss, which was rare at the time. And um, basically, you know, 
she's they find evidence that there's a large-scale influence you know attempt on the Supreme Court to, to hopefully adjust a case that has you know huge impact environmentally in Louisiana actually right mm-hmm. so you know, it was a thing. That's about, why it's the Pelican brief, the Pelican state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the idea was kind of like, you know, a lot of people are talking about in that time frame of how deeply can these justices be influenced? Um, right. And like, is this really a concern for us? You know, and I do think Grisham is really takes from like, he's very much like Crichton to me as an author of, of being very topical. Um, for the time period that he was in and, and like, this is what the science is doing right now. Right. Like Jurassic Park is based off of San Luis Obispo, by the way, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo did the research that led to Jurassic Park as far as what would it be like to extract um, the DNA from the amber. They were, I guess, one of the first universities to, to do that procedure, which led to this kind of the book coming out and saying, hey, which, uh, again, Jurassic Park is also a book not just a movie, um, but just in case people don't know. <laughs> Read the book. It's probably better. Your imagination is still hard. better than CGI. I would say it's a hard call. Like, honestly, the Jurassic Park books are a little, like, chaos theory developed. Like, it's a lot of logic, like, a lot of science in them, kind of. So, it's kind of funny because it's a, it's a little bit deep, a little bit uh, rich in scientific knowledge stuff that you might find a little bit boring because it's not all dinosaurs chasing people around. <laughs> mm, I mean, but I like that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like it's one of the better adaptations I mean, I've seen of something because I would definitely say that it's rare, but I think that Jurassic Park, the movie, you know, God forgive me, I think it's better than the book. I mean, it's still... um, some books, some movies, you have to take each one as they are. Sometimes it doesn't it doesn't happen that way, and you're like, no, the book's so much better. Like I was telling my son that the Harry Potter books have so much in them that's not in the movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> that I, it looked like they put a bunch in the second series because we watched that recently, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. There was a bunch of stuff from the Harry Potter books that wasn't in the first movies that's in those movies. Mm-hmm. As far as Grindelwald and Dumbledore and a bunch mm-hmm. of that stuff was in the Harry Potter books, right? But none of that was in the movies, especially about Dumbledore being LGBT. Mm-hmm. That that really right. wasn't part of of you know the the Harry Potter books, um, especially back in the day, right? I guess they were already reviled by Christians um, and and hardcore you know folks who don't do any type of magic talk or any type of witches or fantasy things. And I, I definitely think that it's unfortunate because there are definitely satanic, you know, situations that I'm not a huge fan of, but there are also people who are like, say, you know, call themselves Satanists who are essentially science lovers. Right. Um, who, who like the shock value, honestly, no mm, offense to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you right. ask like, what's really a Satanist, right? And then there's like satanic worshipers, which is a totally different thing. Like people who are like dark magic, want to kill people and slaughter them for magic, uh, which, you know, in, impacted me a little bit someday because years ago in San Luis Obispo, a, a young woman who I loved was killed by a group of kids that way in Aurora Grande. They call it the Slayer Murders because they were fans of a band called Slayer, and they murdered this girl, Elise Pollard. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really hear about it, because 
I guess my mom didn't tell me. <laughs> She's, it was she like wow. before the internet, you know. I found out years later, and you know, somebody told me about, it and I was like, no, I knew her from church. You know, I had known her, and she was a great girl, lovely. She actually taught me how to tie my shoes, and 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 then somebody killed her in this auspices of dark magic, uh, like really a real death, not like made up, you know. Um, and so I do think that there are people who are drawn to darkness, who do use those type of symbols and are not people that I want to support in this world, you know, right. that's different for me, like than magic and, you know, different type of fantasy things that are made up. Like I don't see them as real. So I don't necessarily identify them as something that's anti-Christian, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think you're going like role-playing harry potter is different from satan worshiping murderers yep or satan worshiping in general yeah i got you that a lot of a lot of people who are christians sometimes there are some really you know strict theology leaning christians and oftentimes those folks are represented more broadly than folks who are more liberal moderate christians you know um, so I kind of get it cause I grew up with the really conservative ones. Like I didn't celebrate Christmas. I didn't celebrate Halloween, didn't celebrate any of those holidays because they were considered unchristian by the family I was raised in. Uh, didn't so listen to any their music. Oh yeah. No, totally. You know, I ended up uh, rebelling against my parents when I was 15 and I became more religious than them. Wow. And became something called apostolic. <laughs> so for a year, I didn't wear pants because women don't wear pants. Um, I didn't wear short, short, you know, long. I only wear long sleeve sh uh, shirts because women are not supposed to expose their arms. Wow. Um, and uh, then I went to a conference with these guys and they fucking tortured me. Christians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, uh -huh. taped me, they taped me to my bed. Mm -mm. When I was sleeping, they, they wrapped me in tape, so I had like the worst uh, dreams ever. And then I woke up and I was covered in tape, and they're like, "We did that because we thought you were a demon, because I had short hair." Wow. And they were like, "You know, you you have short hair. You've cut your hair. Like you're you know you're sinful." <laughs> wow. So and the other thing about them was that they didn't believe in interracial relationships. They were like the mark of Ham is a dictate that like you and your people are supposed to serve us. I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. I can only be that for a second. Cause it was like their racial politics was like, nah, homie. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was like, it's one thing, like we're not gonna wear pants, all this stuff. Um, but I, I just, it's a whole like, nother when you want me to be your slave. Yeah. Well, and I saw this, you know, I saw these beautiful women, who were having 10, 15 kids as part of this lifestyle, right? Um, and now there's people on the TV who live like this. The Duggar family is related to this type of thing. They call it the quiverful movement or, you know, kind of the we will populate the earth type of situation. And these ladies are having kids for like 40 years of their lives, right? And so I started to really see it from like, man, that's not fair to you. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and, wow are your kids you know getting screwed up and coming out really messed up and having really severe issues um in part because they don't have the support there's 15 kids in their family right know? um and so i just definitely you know i say to people it's like 
I identify as a Christian, but there are people who would call me not Christian because I'm not Christian enough, you know? Um, and I, I, I respect and accept that, you know? But I, I believe that I'm blessed by God. I believe that I'm supposed to be here. I believe that LGBT people are blessed by God to be sacred beings on this earth, right? And that we have our people are in the Bible. Our people are David and Jonathan. Our people are Ruth and Naomi. Our people existed, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just think that people haven't caught up yet. But part of it is, too, is that we have a, sometimes an LGBT community that can be very anti-God and anti-religion mm-hmm. and anti-Christian. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it makes it very hard to make that argument. <laughs> like, like you and there's people who are like, we need to tear down these systems of God. And you're like, what does that have to do with being gay? Like, why? And they're like, well, these are the people who are against us. And I'm like, but not all of them are. Like, why are we focused on this? Like, I really, I don't want to get between anybody and their God. And I don't think anybody else in anybody's church should be getting in between anybody and their God. Yeah, I was telling my kid that, you know, we were we were watching a show, this great movie, we loved it. We watched it I, again a little bit called RRR, <laughs> this Hindu Indian movie, action, and they had a whole bunch of God stuff for for the the Hindu gods and deities and such um, in India, and. You know, so on my son, I was like, I believe those people are going to heaven just as much as Christians here, right? Whatever their version of heaven is or whatever version of God that they're accessing to me is not dissimilar to the God that I'm accessing. It's just in a different form. Um, and that's just how I've always felt about it since I was a little kid that, you know, oh, it's not just Christians in America who say the specific words this way who attain, you know, happiness after life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think it, it can be something that separates a lot of people who are Christian, people who are a little bit more expansive and open and welcoming uh, versus folks who are like, absolutely not, you know, but I, I do think there's, it's a bit of a, we're having a huge amount of challenges. I just saw today that um, Bud Light dropped $5 billion in valuation after a, a boycott has begun because of their support of uh, a trans influencer. Um, wow. to celebrate Women's History Month, which I, I just feel was not the right branding matchup, to be honest. <laughs> like, I'm going to be real with you. Like, that don't make no sense to me. <laughs> like, I mean, I could have seen, like, Guinness, maybe, Heineken, possibly even Miller Lite, but, <laughs> but Bud Light? Bud Light? It's like you're just you fucking with them. <laughs> um, what's the what's the beer that was always changing the channel on the commercials? Because that would actually be the perfect beer for trans rides, because that's the beer that was transitioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be a, a metaphor on so many levels if that beer was just like. Let me step up and be the beer for trans rights. Like, I don't think it was them. Is it Michelob or Miller? Yeah, I whoever think it, was. it was, they put it on top of the refrigerator on the type, like on the TV. I, it's, on the- it's been, 
This is Miller. I think it was Miller. I'm pretty sure it was Miller. I can't say sorry to it because I, I, I avoid commercials. Um, <laughs> but um, I do believe it might have been Miller. You know, somebody out there might know. Like, let us know if they know. Dear Miller, um, you're missing an opportunity that Bud. <laughs> well, I just think it's really one of those things where there's right now uh, just this tremendous conversation and this tremendous amount of funding <laughs> on trans rights and trans conversations um, that is almost exclusively only one gender, right? So there's no mention of trans men. There's no awareness of trans non-binary people. It's just trans women also. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, it also really, to me, it shows the lie, right? Because if we were doing a trans uh, opportunity to, to showcase trans support for a traditionally masculine brand, having trans men who are bodybuilders or leather daddies or hot dudes would work for us. Might, it might work far better to connect that type of, of those, those groups of people versus, Hey, this is a brand that's already not considered super feminine. And now we're going to not ever have that brand, which is not feminine, not women supporting. They're never going to be women supporting, but they're going to be trans women supporting. Right. And so it keeps on this narrative that's happening where I don't think people are realizing it's very easy for women to feel that non-trans women to feel that like they're being slighted because an organization like Nike is accused of being hostile to pregnant women. Like last year, uh, an Olympian said that she was forced off of Nike's team. She lost her paycheck because she chose to have a child. And they sent her a warning, like, if you have a kid, you're done with us. Right. So they're controlling somebody's reproductive cycle who's a non-trans woman and then turning around and doing, you know, less than a year later, doing an event and doing supporting women through a supporting a trans woman. So it feels like a hostility play by these organizations that are considered anti-woman to then support trans women. And from my perspective, I don't know how many of those trans women are aware of those hostilities that have happened to those women. Right or that Nike has been accused of sexually abusing girls and supporting that in their program in Oregon. Like that's an ongoing legal suit right now. A whole bunch of women say there was a coach, I guess, who was a super abuser there. And it's like, that's happening right now. Why would a trans woman jump up to do, uh, you know, a connect like us, you know what I mean? An ad with them. I can only, I just think that it's possible. She doesn't know. Like she literally doesn't know. And then she doesn't get why the backlash is so big. Because right. it's not just like you did a thing with a brand. It's like you did a thing with a brand that hates women. <laughs> right, right. And, and what does it say that you're doing it, right? It, it doesn't mean that you're more woman, right? Like that's I really, right. it's, it's a, something I don't think people are really digging into here <laughs> as far as. This is very much to me. It's a pro, it's a problematic and performative exercise by these companies because they're not solving these issues with the women who have sued them. So we've got two sides to this argument. We've got multiple. we we do okay multiple sides. We have we have the interest of the women, the rights of um, the the trans the rights of the companies, the rights of the governments, the rights of the international communities that are supposed to be holding the governments responsible. 
for human rights um, mm -hmm. is what I'm specifically thinking. Um, what's that? That's at least five layers of of of. Well, I think stakeholders. And what's going on is you're having a culture conversation. So you have now Howard Stern has responded because Kid Rock did a boycott video and Howard Stern is yelling at Kid Rock, like, why do you even care? This doesn't impact me, it doesn't impact you. That has nothing to do with us, right? Um, and then that's gonna probably cause, you know, Howard Stern to have a lot of outcry in his corner because there's a whole bunch of non-trans women who feel that this conversation is very much a conversation about women being dismissed. And so any man who says, hey, I support trans women in these ways, will find themselves attacked by this, you know, cadre of folks that some people might call TERFs or other type of folks. Um, but it seems just to increase with age over time, right, where the TERF community was a very small, tiny little thing. In the 1990s, there was very few folks, just like Kathy Brennan and they used to yell at me all the time. <laughs> so, like, like they were always on my butt. Like they don't, they don't necessarily like the bi peoples. Um, and then for me, I was very, you know, always spending time with trans folks, doing trans, you know, supportive work. Um, and so I was, you know, and then I had a trans girlfriend at one point, and so they were really upset at that point. You can't be bi and with a trans person. That doesn't even exist. And you know, <laughs> tell me what else. Tell me what else. So I was like, okay, but I think that for now I see a different type of power dynamic happening where trans women are impacting uh, non-trans women in a way that's not good for either group of people, right? Especially like, you know, you're supporting, a br supporting brands that have traditional hostilities towards women or like haven't been helpful or don't do nothing for good for girls or women and then you're trans woman you go well that doesn't matter what matters is they support me that kind of makes it clear where trans women see themselves in womanhood to me i i do think it might be a, a sign of internalized anti-femaleness Right, which is very different than oh, I think a lot some right wing people who are very like these are not women, these are people are somebody sick, there's something wrong with them. Where I, I don't necessarily see that. I see that that um, a lot of people who are trans, uh, I'll be real with you, they look better as trans. <laughs> they, they seem better. They, they like uh, you look at them as kids. They were always not the gender they were supposed to be, if that makes sense. When they was kids, right? A lot of them have a history of feeling and presenting different in a way that means is very authentic to me, right? Um, so I, I just feel like a lot of times that is missing where people are actually not supportive of trans um, reality, right? That there are people who, and that this has been around for a really long time, that this is not new, right? No, so for you to be like, just came up, these people are just creating this shit. It's like, no. You just found out about this, but this has been happening for a while. You know, mm. I, I definitely don't support, you know, the kiddos um, and my own experience with having my son, who's fairly, you know, likes to do girl stuff, work girl stuff. You know, he's just likes that. That's just who he is, along with liking Pokemon and other things. He also likes some girl stuff and very flashy things. Like we walk past a sex store in San Francisco and he goes, I got to have that hat. 
you know. Uh, <laughs> and we couldn't go into the store. The people were like, he can't come in. Because, <laughs> like, like, the whole thing is covered in sex toys. But I don't, he totally ignored all of that and was like, that hat is mine. And it's this blue sparkle hat. And our friend went in, got it, and brought it out for him. And he wears it, you know. It's a, a blue sparkle cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, but when we would go to to these places sometimes with kids that were different and people who were like, oh, this is gender nonconforming kids group, they would really quickly be like, here's the type of hormone packages we can be talking about. And I was like, what the hell? I was like, nah, we're not doing nothing to him. Like, we, it's just like, give him space to be himself. That's what I thought you guys were all about. But they were very like, well, if he's not wearing these clothes, does he really fit here? It was very binary. So I tell people, like, if you if you only have heard this conversation just from what you see in the news, like, you as an LGBT person should go into these spaces with these kids because some shit's going down that you and I would never support. Like, and I, I've been I've been outcast on this because I, I tell people I don't. If you have LGBT group, like I went to a, a very small group in Southern California, and they had a 12-year-old, a 13- and 12-year-old kids that were there, and their dad dropped them off and left. And then they were there with these really old people. Like I'm really clinical. scratching my head. No, you are super scratching your head, like literally scratching your head because it's like you can't believe this. And the dad was like, I'm so supportive, and so I'm just going to give them their space. And I was like, are you fucking out of your mind? Like, do not leave 12-year-olds with old gays and bi's and trans and LGBT people. That's so inappropriate. Like, to say, like, this is okay, you're 13, here's how you explore your sexuality. No! You know, if anything, you're absolutely okay to say, here's a club for kids. Here's some 12-year-olds who are hanging out together. But this has been really happening where we're seeing people, especially straight people, think that our spaces are safe. Which is I don't so think strange. any space is safe, but that's the well, nature I'm just saying, it seems like of they're PTSD, like so, you know. I think it's like rainbows and love wins, and they got the whole, they, they missed half the message. <laughs> Mm. Right. Mm. Like, no. <laughs> okay. So my experience has been one of 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 honestly every transgender person that I have met has had a very um, dual experience with the world. They've had an inner and an outer experience. Um, they've had a struggle. Um. And they've had um, to be strong, to be able to make that struggle. Uh, The world that we live in doesn't understand um, anything that isn't reflective of whatever you can see with your eyes. Mm -hmm. So... The idea that any company, regardless of what its product is, could put something that you could see is a woman or you could see is a man is fine because you can see it. Whatever the other reality is, 
the deeper reality, the more meaningful reality, the psychology behind um, either um, firing a pregnant woman or hiring a transgender woman. The psychology is still, we want a head that cannot be pregnant. A man, a transgender woman, or a non-pregnant female uh -huh. are all not carrying of a child in it's all true. three of those cases. Yeah. And so the bottom line for that to me is not one necessarily of what the gender is. It is simply a matter of what that company's morals are. And that company's morals are no baby. Yeah, I think no baby, but I also think um... like at least in in the CEO or in that level. My of... my sense is my sense is it's almost a similar thing as the Balenciaga thing that happened a little a little bit ago where they got in trouble for having bondage teddy bears. Um, what? Yeah, no, it was. What it was, the fuck are you talking about? It was a poor look. I know you don't, you're not a huge news person, but it was bad. <laughs> Everybody who wears them had to stop wearing them. They're like this really big brand that Kim Kardashian, a whole bunch of people supported. Kim Kardashian went out and made a statement that she doesn't support this. And it was it was it was even worse. There was like a mattress, a child mattress as part of the the shoot. There were babies with the bears. Um, I, um, and the, nope, and the bears were, were wearing leather. Uh, <laughs> And I'm pretty sure that it was probably a straight person who does not know. <laughs> like, like, I really think that, like, sometimes people don't know. So they're like, oh, all gay guys. It's like Freddie Mercury. All gay guys wear that. It's like, no, it's no. actually just leather S&M or just leather daddies. Or sometimes there's motorcycle daddies who are super not S&M. They're just motorcycle daddies. So there's a whole thing, but they're all daddies. And they're usually with mustaches. <laughs> mm. um, so it's it's not a kid thing. <laughs> um, you never, ever, ever in your life see any of these daddies, as we call them, have a child on their lap. That would be mm -hmm. totally out of bounds. That would be, nobody would do it. Um, and so to, to mix those things with kidhood, it, it elicited a very strong response from the internet, from people saying, I will yeah. not, no, you have gone too far, right? Um, and then there, of course, was a counter response of, hey, people are being sex, you know, negative. They're shaming people who make these decisions in life, you know. But generally, people are all on the side that the kids shouldn't have been part of the shoot. Um, and that the teddy bears in, in the gear, could have, we could have tossed that as well. That, <laughs> that, that was, you know, oh, my God. And they, came, and they came out and made a huge, you know, statement. Uh, and the company said, we apologize. We've let go of this creative team. Um, we do not, we do not, we do not support child abuse, da, 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 you know, but I think it's a similar type of thing where a company was trying to be on brand and on edge. And so what is it? What do you, what do you, do you go past a 15 year old? What's going on in the world? Trans rights, right? You know, so I go, oh, we'll get a trans influencer to do this for our brand because there's, this is such a popular conversation, but the, it needs to be lensed through what's appropriate, you know? of your brand does not necessarily represent women. So how are women going to feel when uh, there's a conversation ongoing in this, in our country about trans women's space uh, with women in the sense of competition, 
in the sense of bathrooms, in the sense of prisons. It's it's real. It's a it's a thing. And for many years, there was a huge push by trans elders and, and people I love and support to really uh, just not have that conversation and, and do gender neutral bathrooms. And there was a I remember there were being fights with people. This is terrible. I don't want to use a gender neutral bathroom. I want to use the bathroom of my gender. I want to use I want to be with women. And so there has been this has been a huge fight internally to trans community for a long time of what are we going to do? Because gender neutral bathrooms, there's not enough of us. I remember one person was like, we should get everybody to be gender neutral bathrooms, right? So everybody has that, but people would do it at conferences. It didn't work out. People are get people would get assaulted at conferences in the bathrooms. And this is like LGBT people getting assaulted by LGBT right. people. So right, like, because no community is like safe from assault. That, that's part of the reason why we have gender-specific bathrooms if people are not aware of the rate of sexual assault of women by men, right? right? So, and that's something I do think is very common is that there is a lack of awareness um, from trans women I've met. They, they often sometimes are very like, women have it the bus, they, this is so awesome. There's no awareness of the high levels of sexual violence that women could experience compared to men, right? Like. Yeah, guys are also assaulted, but at three times less the rate. Like, you know, like you should be talking about the things that are happening the most to me, um, at the very least not hiding them. Um, and so I, I do think it, it means that the conversation with the Bud Light is now being taken over by men, right? Mm. And nothing to do with women again. And so, so it is. Anytime somebody's going to do something like that, because it's pitting communities against each other. I'm just saying, it's uh, very basic. You know, I'm, listen, I'm going to keep laughing because the thing about it is there are men making decisions about our wounds. There are men making decisions about everything that has to do with women that, and they have no idea what it is like to be a woman and yeah. they never have. Um, yeah. And I recently, I'm laughing, and this is not a like a funny ha ha laugh. It was more of like a maniacal. I'm not really happy laugh. It's more like yeah. like an evil genius laugh, and yeah. that's because yeah. I I have a little bit of evil genius news. Mm. I shall oh, rub no. my hands together. I um, do my little genealogy research, right? And so my most recent knowledge base is spending some time in the Virginia court records for the 1700s. Um, and I was following the, the Mozingo line again, and I found, um, <laughs> unfortunately, one of the Mozingo family married a rapist. Ooh. Yes, I know, right? So the intergenerational trauma goes all the way back to the 1700s, and one of my foremothers had the unfortunate um, life of having to uh be married to and then get away from and be in trouble with her community for living in adultery with another man so mm. um one of my my great great grandmother uh great great grant grand aunt her um name is margaret M mozingo um she is recorded in court as a mulatto woman who was 
um, being brought to court for adultery with George Henson. Her husband was also being brought to court for living, for cohabitating with Rebecca Payne at the mm. same time for six months. A few months later, her husband was in trouble for forcibly raping a woman named Diana Cobbs, whom he got pregnant. And so she, Diana Cobbs, is in trouble with the state of Virginia for her um, becoming pregnant and making her master um, be like not convenient for like nine months or a year. And so she's got five years added on to the community sentence of indentured servitude for the the inconvenience of being raped by this guy. Okay, well, I just want to make sure you're aware, because not sometimes people aren't, but part of the reason why Loving versus Virginia is based in Virginia is that Virginia had the most um, long-lasting and most intense uh, reaction to miscegenation. So for hundreds of years, any black person who was found to be with a white woman was accused of rape. And that would be what the record would say. It would not reflect whether or not those people actually were in a loving relationship because it was considered hmm. any black man who is in relationship sexually with a white woman or a mulatto woman mm -hmm. is considered a rapist. So mm -hmm. a lot of times I find that that information about how black men were institutionalized mm -hmm. as rapists, mm -hmm. like it's also a huge part of where lynching is part of mm -hmm. that that led to many lynching implementations because mm -hmm. you've done this you're a rapist you know and what would happen is instead of somebody getting lynched they would take them to jail and then the court would say we've done this you don't need to mm -hmm. lynch them because now they're going to do this um and mm -hmm. i do think that there was a, a big history of this being done as well to try to force people out of that physical location of virginia Man, I don't know. This guy looks like he had like five or six women. That would have been considered a really, uh, really, you know, difficult type of thing, you know. And I think that's one of the things that's interesting for you and for other, you know, white people in this country who have histories of black folks going like 300 years back. Mm -hmm. Your experience as a white person living racialized as white, right? Even mm -hmm. as having that ancestry it means that your lens will be almost automatically different than mine as a black person who has been racialized as black. Mm, mm -hmm. My first thought will be whatever you've read is wrong. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay. Also, I have no idea. Are very much. That's just how that was done. According to my family's history, right? According mm -hmm. to my grandfather's mm -hmm. mother, who lived mm -hmm. in the 1800s and would tell me these stories of what they would do to us. Mm -hmm. And that's what they would do all the time was tell people these things. To the point that I haven't say that one out of every eight claims against a black man historically is true based off of the research that they've done now. I haven't confirmed that Francis Chandler is a black man. I know that Edward Mozingo is a black man. And I know that Margaret, his, that, Francis's wife was a mulatto woman. That that's my my ancestor. In any any type of mulatto ness so, or blackness 
And then if it's in a historical record in Virginia, there's Mm -hmm. also another awareness there in the sense that most of the historical records in the South, in Virginia, Arkansas, Alabama, all of them have either been disrupted or deleted of true black content. So anything that's yeah. left, we're finding is also really negative content about black people or things oh, yeah. that de- decontextualize the story. Right. No, there right? was like, one there, guy. There could in be a whole bunch of other shit that happened, basically. No, no, there was one guy in particular in Virginia whose name I can't remember, but who had a real thing for erasing Indians. Um, and there's a lot of. I think it's hard too because what I think what goes on is we have today right we're in 2023 right anything we read about 1773 it's going to sound horrific and terrible right which will reinforce this awareness we have but really what that just says is that was 300 fucking years ago right they they didn't have electricity they didn't have internet they didn't have toilets they didn't have running water right like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happening in that space that's just going to be drastically different you know um, but I do think that Absolutely a lot of times horrific. people are, I think a lot of times people are looking for, hey, those stories from my past and my peoples of who came before will help me understand who I am today. But yeah. when it comes to the those stories coming from the public record, I would really refute using that for that purpose. Oh, yeah. It's like the lie now gets to be generational to you. That's a really good point. So it it really is harm for you and all that come after you to take what was untrue then. Mm -hmm. And just, this is also just based off of my, like, you know, we got the Salem witches. We got a whole bunch of stuff that's happening between (laughs) 1500 and 1800. And another thing that I definitely know too is that indentured servitude, anybody who's indentured in Virginia is basically treated like a slave. So mm-hmm. anything that they do that's considered outside the norm of society will be considered like illegal and it might even not even big deal. Like you're going to go in front of the judge and that's it. No big deal. Like this is just how it is for you because you're indentured that mm-hmm. if you're caught out after night, this is what's going to happen. And in the society that they lived in, it might not have had the same social, uh, cog- social recognition that we have of those actions because people understood it to be bullshit. You feel me? Right. (laughs) This is just how they do us, you know? And I feel it's unfortunate that there's a whole bunch of white folks who have that indentured servitude um, ancestry who don't know what their people went through, right? The being stopped, um, being beat, being scoured, being tarred and feathered. I mean, a whole bunch of shit they're doing to like a bunch of different people. I mean, really, the tarring and feathering, that's, like, ridiculous. Who does that? <laughs> like, who even comes up with that? That's so crazy, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I get it. Oh, we're going to tar and feather the British. We're going to tar and feather anybody who's an enemy of the America or enemy of our city or something like this, you know? But ultimately, I think that a lot of those records are representative of the, that cruelty of humanity that existed at that time. And also the fact that these people were coming from cruelty, Right, they were escaping 400 years of war and the Black Plague, right? Coming from Europe, totally yeah. screwed out of their minds. Seven <laughs> kids, one makes it a year. What the hell? You know, what I mean, you're talking about some real messed up people who roll up on America. 
<laughs> it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't the people who had wealth and shit. It was the people who didn't. It was the third and fourth and fifth son, right? So, right. you know, not understand, not seeing that that's part of that story. I think it makes it easier for us to relegate, oh, hey, you know, this person's this because this record says it. But I mean, I'm trying to think if there's a part of Virginia who I would trust its records that in those years. Oh, no. I can't. No, you don't know. No, you misunderstand me, Faith. You misunderstand me. You see, I served in the Navy in in Virginia. So let, let me finish this story a little. I yeah. I was reading these records and I'm reading this shit and I'm understanding now a little bit more why I must have had such a shit time while I served in the Navy. Because I I couldn't understand why Virginia hated me so fucking much. Mm -hmm. I was there and I was being tortured in my mind and in my surroundings uh, and I I just couldn't get over this sense that I shouldn't be in Virginia like the whole time I was there like I had no business being there like there I wasn't welcome and when I got out of the state of Virginia and many many years later here I am and I read all of this horrific fucking shit my family went through during the founding of Virginia colony and I think to myself no I got no business ever being in the state of Virginia. It's a it's a I'm tremendously it's a tr it's a it's got a lot of difficulty. You know, there's a really good piece on a website called um, Indian Country Media, Indian Country Today. Um, they did a, a really exhaustive article on on Pocahontas, as she was called, and um, what her story was according to the legend of her people. And the people were basically saying that her tribe had this tremendous knowledge of tobacco growing. Um, mm -hmm. And that was why John Smith initially tried to marry her was he was he, he and all the other Virginia colonists were trying to convince her tribe to, to help them understand how they were able to plant tobacco and keep it growing and have it at such amazing rates. Mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately she didn't marry John Smith, but she did marry another white guy who they her tribal ancestry records show was very abusive and in part this was abusive because unbeknownst to a lot of folks pocahontas had married a native man and so she had kids in virginia with this native man and now she's being married again to a white man who again john rolfe wanted to get the tobacco knowledge so supposedly in this story they said that she went over to england to elicit more support but that really her people felt that that was a plot to get her away from them and their protection and that she was poisoned on the ship on the way back because they wanted to basically get that knowledge, use the tobacco planting, get rid of her and get rid of any promise that they had to the people to share the wealth that came from their planting in Virginia. Um, so I, I do think it's like that's a very similar story to the East Indian Trading Company and the British empires, how it went to India and like decimated and destroyed communities and tribes, um, all to build more wealth and build more stuff. And that was done again, not by quote unquote England, but by a company that was licensed by England. Mm -hmm. And much like the Virginia colony was licensed by England, right? It's not licensed, you know, it's based virgin. It's, it's, it's you know, based off of the queen, Queen Elizabeth the first, right? Uh, was it? One of those 
Sir William something, Sir Francis's. Sounds mm, mm, mm. founds it right. So the whole thing is like about literally just taking shit and making money. Like it doesn't have you know. I just I think it's a good spin. The whole hundred years later founding for you know America and woohoo democracy. But that's definitely not how that started. No, it's not how it started. <laughs> It's not. How it's it also the, it's also the first place where the slaves were successful. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't know that this, there was slaves that were brought into the country by the Spanish in the 1500s, and I believe wherever they were, I think it was in Florida or the South, they rose up and killed their Spanish captors, mm-hmm. um, and it really put a damper on bringing African slaves to America until the the Virginians were like, we're going to put them in chains and we're going to do all these different things to make sure that they don't uprise. And so the middle passage that exists is based off of also people having non-successful attempts to enslave Africans. And then it works in Virginia and becomes a um, model, if you will. So I, I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of think Virginia is like the most anti-black state sometimes. <laughs> like, or just as far as like history of it, you know, like <laughs> it goes back oh. a long time and then didn't necessarily get better. You know what I mean? Me and Virginia ain't cool. Me and Virginia West Virginia cool. is like hella racist too. I went out there a couple times. I was like, wow, get me back to California. Like, like, no offense, Virginia, but I know, I know we ain't cool. Like, y'all weren't cool when I was there with me, and I felt it. <laughs> I mean, I, there's, some good there, parts. So... there's some good parts someplace, I'm sure. But... Like, there's, no, I mean, Virginia's beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. There are some really pretty places to go. It's got some fun shit to do, but it it wasn't like I wasn't supposed to be there. No, There's just both things supposed to be there. No, I think I think you know it could be you know spiritually and generationally that we have these stories and our ancestors are like, yo, this wasn't comfortable for us. It wasn't safe. Um. And I think that there's maybe more – there's a couple of states that are very specific like that for people who uh, have ancestry. But I do hesitate to wonder, like, you know, how much it has definitely impacted you as a person who has mostly white face privilege, yeah, which is how we say it, right? Yeah, I got some white face privilege. Absolutely, right. yeah. Right, and, and, it, and a lot of times I think that there is a – an interest because I see it all other places too, especially with folks who have native ancestry who are white, who are like, I'm just trying to find out. And almost like it's more interesting the history 300 years ago than it is the history of 50 years ago or the history of 100 years ago. But like your family history of 100 years ago might be more beneficial to you and more like this is my grandma's grandma versus all those ancestries back. Like, that person might as well be my ancestor or a number, another person's ancestor. Like the dilution of relationship between you is so, so high. Right. Mm-hmm. And another way to put it is that we all share ancestry, right? Mm-hmm. That all, everybody here living in America, that if mm-hmm. your family can trace itself back going back, you know, 1800s, 1700s, 
that there's probably mutual and common ancestry around uh, across a, a great deal of our population, um, especially between black and white, and especially between you know native and, and white and native and black and pretty much so you everybody. Actually bring up what's um, an interesting question because the only thing that has driven for me um, what ancestors I look for is. I have looked for what were the ancestors of mine that migrated to America? That has only been my question when I looked for what ancestors were mine. Mm -hmm. um, and when I started it, I started under the impression as a white person that I would have Scotch-Irish ancestors. I made no assumption of having black ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, and when I got to American um, colonial founding, I found Scottish, Irish, Welsh, and Black all simultaneous. So I literally am. And in that time period, those folks were had a lot more commonality. Right. A lot of people probably don't know that, that the Scotch and the Irish are tremendously disadvantaged against the English and the Welsh even more so. So those you're talking about, like kind of like the ghetto of, of the I'm, area. Yeah, I'm literally <laughs> talking about like, like they'd be hating of, on those people. But that's why I'm, I think there's more people who are black. Like my grandmother was 25 percent Scottish. Right. Uh, that Her ancestry was really heavily Scottish and she was a black woman. But there's definitely, I think, if you look for when there's white and black mixing in America, it's either Irish or Scottish. So if you happen to have Scotch um, heritage in America and you are identifying in your family as Presbyterian Scotch um, or Scotch-Irish in America mm -hmm. with a Presbyterian lean, that means that you're not um, coming from the Irish Catholic um, heritage. Well, when I started that um, genealogy tracing, what I come to was that that actually was the group of Scotch people who had gone to uh, um, to the north of Ireland and had settled in the Ulster province of Northern Ireland and were the ones that were uh, in the middle of the fight between the Protestant um, settlers from England in the Ulster plantations. So these are literally the very first plantations that the English settled mm -hmm. are the Scottish and English lowland people who were border reavers in the middle of uh, the and Scottish to give them credit, border. This is partially because we have a number of deaths that are happening in the English monarchy. There's many wars that are happening between Ireland and Scotland. And there's a fight over the, you know, the empire, right? That who yeah. of, Hen of Henry VIII's children, Elizabeth, Mary Queen of Scots, or James, will become the monarch. There's a religious war going on between the Catholics and the Protestants. And there's it's basically also... going on for like, I don't know, a thousand years, right? I mean, essentially the, since the Black, maybe like 1300 to, you know, the War of the There's also a vying for supremacy between the dukes and the flight of the earls is is about to happen and once well, the, I was thinking the, the, the Bonnie Prince Charles too once the earls leave the north of of Ireland it's pretty much 
the English are able to allow that movement in of the Scotch-Irish peasant and lowlands, then they start in with the highland clearances, and that's the first um, movement into America of the adventures. So this is, I mean, this is the craziest part of this, okay, is that some of my earliest, my earliest, <laughs> my earliest relatives are these people getting pushed from England where they lived on the Scottish side of the border, where the, all of this fighting is going on. They can't have farms because there's people like dying in battle on their farms and they're moved over to to Ireland where their cousins who are the Irish are now fighting with them over this land that is not actually free because there are people who live here who are like, yo, why are you invading us? Well, and this Those is, this goes back to my whole thing, right? I'm, I'm anti-immigrant, right? I am, I am, I'm conservative. My belief about the immigrants is ship them all back. Everybody goes back. You go back, everybody, <laughs> unless you're going to stay here and be under uh, a different America, right? Which I think should be more native led and really enforce the treaties that we had before and kind of go back to having this country be a little bit more non, again, decrease the federal government, increase that local government, increase the native government, increase the land government, right? But also, so many of the people who came here did not come here because they wanted to be here, no. right? They came because of what you're talking about, right? They came because of terror and fright and people who are coming today, they're coming here for the same reasons. They're coming because of terror and fright and terribleness and hope for their families and hope for their children. And my right. thought is, we're, we're continuing to not work on that. We're just we're talking all the time about immigration and talking about America, but actually working on all these other countries and working on how can we make the world around us not be in terror, not overload America and want to be here. So we're all in terror and everybody's in terror everywhere, right? It's like, what is, and seeing that historically, I think is very interesting because people I don't, um, I definitely think that many cultural communities are unaware of the death rates for Irish people or the things that were happening to the Scots and to the English that led them to quote unquote sail ships and quote unquote colonize, right? It wasn't a reaction to, oh, yay, we're going to, we love this land. It shall be ours. It was yeah. much more, I, I'm fleeing from death and I'm seeking mm -hmm. a place and you've got space and I'm going to take it. Right. You actually had people die here recently, and there's nobody on this land. So you'll take it for, like, these muskets? Cool. Yeah. I have the extra part, muskets. They didn't really realize the difference between the cultural awareness, and that's where the war started, where people, Native people started fighting back, and the U.S. Army starts building and building, ultimately becoming a big, the biggest fighting force in the world, really off of 400 years of fighting Indians. Right. And basically what that really says is, hey, we're taking this land little by little. We're going to take this whole continent. We're going to map it then we're going to take it and it's going to be ours. And this the theory of assimilation. We're going to assimilate you into our society. You'll all be part of this. OK, you'll have your own reservations, but you'll still be part of this. Right. It's all it's all really optimistic. You know, <laughs> I want to yeah, give them credit. For, but at the same time, it doesn't work at all. Right. And it's it leads to an very, ongoing immigration conversation where we never stop opening the doors. So I can, okay, uh, I am a Latinist first and foremost. 
And it is very much based on the Roman Empire's um, methodology of conquer and assimilate. Mm -hmm. And if um, you are properly conquered and assimilated, you are well taken care of. And it's not a bad thing for you. But you do leave, you lose autonomy because I, I like to take the, I like to take good things. Of, I like to acknowledge, I would say, other older cultures. But I can't call myself a Latinist because any empire that fails is not an empire I would recommend replicating. Mm-hmm. It's a thing, you know? And it's a thing where everybody's like, oh, we'll rebuild this thing. I feel like the English did that, where they're like, we'll rebuild what the Romans did. No, and then no, Americans did shit. With like, yo, I'm going to use Latin, I'm going to use Roman, I'm going to use the English, like the great thinkers. It's like, nah, dude, like what actually is great thought is happening today, right? Whatever was happening 200 years ago, 300 years ago, like it's cool and like Plato's awesome. But like, (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like you could talk to a five-year-old in the United States who has a better grasp on logic of things than somebody 300 years ago because they have a different cognitive ability. They didn't grow up with the internet. They didn't have access to the information that we have. It's like monkeys and, and humans. I, I think it's very unfortunate that we spend so much time thinking about our past because you and I, most likely, if we went and had a time machine, were able to go back, we'd either be killed immediately or wouldn't even be able to be understood. They would consider us yeah. mute or something wrong with us. Like, God, so I'd probably so get burned at the stake. I'm saying they would, it would be immediately, someone slaughter, like, you know, yeah, and I would argue that that would be the same for anybody, a white person, a black person, any person, because of how we talk, how we think, how we believe in ourselves and our abilities, that is totally opposite of what the people who came to this country felt, like, Mm -hmm. as far as believing that they would be somebody, that they could be president someday. That's, a, that's why I think it's interesting as well to look into your history of 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 200, you know, in the sense of what were those – how did we get to today, you know? Um, and I, I do, you know, there's a lot of folks who spend time on it, and so, I, you know, I don't know if it's like really no, the most. It would be helpful to see it. I, I do ancestry work. When I was 29 years old, I had um, a lady reach out to me on social media and – I met my brothers for for the first time, and through that, I've developed a relationship with with them and their families, and um, my family is getting larger as I'm getting to meet more and more of them. Um, I was raised as an only child, and I was raised away from my family to protect me from the dangers of this world, and it kind of backfired because mm-hmm. um, what we learn um, – and what we have learned over time um, is that the things that you do to protect yourself from predators frequently make you a target to predators. So when you try to isolate yourself from a predator, a predator looks for your isolation and then uses that against you. I, I think, I think you know. what you've also hit on is this concept of predator-free life is, is a misnomer. Right, right. That's not happening. They're and I think there. people might not have known, like our parents or grandparents may have thought that that was true, and maybe it was for them. It's possible. Uh, yeah, uh, it's not happening, though. But I don't I see it, you know. I mean, it's, it was also acceptable. I remember my grandmother saying to me, you know, if it happens and some if some boy gets you and he puts you down, and you just open your legs and you, you shut your eyes and you forget it. 
<laughs> and she told me that when I was like 11, you know? <laughs> so, um, and it was, no, it was already that's not late, to be honest with you. But um, I was like, okay, grandma, I already figured that out, you know, in the sense that for, for especially girls of color, being assaulted is actually just like a rite of passage, just how it is. Right. Um, and I do think that a lot of people are unaware of like how mm -mm. consistent that is for people. Like they've already, that's part of why they're sexually reclaiming themselves at 1920 is because when they were 12, they were getting molested, you know? Um, I, I, I've seen some studies are like estimate 85, 90% of American kids. So I, I definitely like, don't No, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the number was a hundred percent. Well, so I say just as far as like any kind of touching or any type of sexual harassment or anything like that, it'd be unusual for you in this current generation and time frame of life for that to have not existed. And I do think that means that we have more, and that's in part probably because we have gender mixing at a higher rate than we did 100 years ago, right? And so part of those reasons why we had those gender specific spaces was to limit and prohibit how much harassment and harm would happen. Right. So I, um, I do think that there's, that's part of the conversation we got, we got to keep on having, but speaking of conversations that we should go, cause it's yep. a little late and we've, we've, we've had a good one. We've had a good one. So we're going to come back we're gonna yeah, close yeah. this episode out, and we'll revisit it sometime again soon. So, but thank you all for listening and Mo Faye, thank you for being here with us, Mo. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, uh, everybody stay safe out there and warm and wonderful. Yep. Until next time, y'all. Until next time.